Lord, I lift your name on high. Oh, Lord, I love to sing your praises. Oh, I'm so glad you bring my life. Oh, I'm so glad you came to save us. Oh, you came from It's already done. This is as we go to prayer this evening. We have a prayer request to please remember our brother Doug Tyson in South Carolina who is asking prayer for help and healing. He was married in April of 2022 and is still waiting for a spouse visa from immigration to allow his wife to enter the country and needs the Lord's help so that he can be reunited with his wife. He also has been very sick with E. coli. And it's affected, uh, and it's effects for 16 months. And is praying, we believe with him for complete healing. Amen. Brother Tom, could you open the service in a word of prayer? I just sing this song, of course, a few times. It's already done. Amen. If you have a need, as we sing this song, just lift it before the Lord, and know that it's already done. Amen. Oh, it's already done. It's already done. 
would say he's slain before the foundation of the Play. I want to thank you for your prayers as we got back on Tuesday from a set of meetings in Ohio, which we had with Pastor Dwayne Lawson and Elder Ray Erickson. That's what we figured it out. A precious brother, pastor. Now Brother Wayne is pastoring. Wonderful church, just like home. They made me feel just like home. And I believe, saints of God, in the power of the Word of God. And as I was ministering on Sunday morning, I get a call Monday afternoon from a a brother in the church. He said, Brother Tom, as you were preaching, I took the Word, and God healed both me and my wife. Amen. If you just take God at His Word, and He sent His Word out, healed the people. Amen. If you've got a need here this evening, you just lift up your heart. Just say, Lord, you know my need and longing. And I know you're the one that can meet that need. And I'm not going to limit you by my unbelief. I'm going to take you at the promise of Almighty God. Lord, you said in your word that ask anything, anything in my name, believing you shall have what you ask. So the songwriter's correct. I'm already healed. Lord, you bore it in your great thoughts, Lord. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It's not how how hard or loud we pray. It's by our faith believing in thus saith the word. We're believers, Lord, as his brothers asked us to pray. We're believers for him. Lord, we're believers for every hand that's lifted tonight. Lord, there's needs in our assembly. Great needs, Lord. And I believe that you're a very present help in time of trouble. Lord, our sister in the hospital, Lord. How she's been upon our hearts. Knowing, Lord, that loss... I pray, God, that you will be near her even tonight. I pray, Father God, that faith would come by her way. That, oh, Lord, that you could just cradle her in your arms, Lord. Knowing all things work to the good to them that love you. Father, I pray for Sister Bev Charman, successful in the operation. I pray that it will be a quick recovery. Lord, I pray for the man of God that will step behind the pulpit, Lord. I pray you'll give him great unction and liberty in the Holy Spirit. Father, may the faith bank be raised high tonight. May our expectation reach out into the unseen. And may we reach and touch the hem of your garment. Bless your people on this Wednesday evening, Lord. Feed our hungry souls. Bless our brother Jean as he will bring the word. Father, we commit all needs now to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.
seats. And our brother Ray has a special for us. Brother Ray, come. We'll sing Greater Than All My Sins. Is blood. Greater than all my sin is the blood that still cleanses me, is the grace that still says. Be filled with a 
sing open the eyes of my heart lord amen sing one or two more songs as our brother jean comes amen are we looking forward to that day amen when we see him amen open the eyes of my heart
song comes. Worthy is the
put back the previous verse, verse 2 again, back there. I love this song. You know, the name of Jesus Christ, there's just such an awesome wonder that comes with that name. When that name was first mentioned, we know what happened? The baby that was dead in the womb came back to life. And Jesus wasn't even born yet. Just the mention of his name. He wasn't even manifested yet in the flesh. Oh my. Think about the name of an unborn child. Jesus. What a powerful name that is. I just feel like praising the Lord. When I sing about his worth. When I sing about who he is. There's something in my soul. I just want to say praise. Praise the Lord. Glory to the God. You are my everything. Hallelujah. Oh, I just love him so much tonight. Do you love him? Amen. Thank you, Brother Anthony. It's just a wonderful atmosphere tonight. Let's turn to the Word. You are my everything. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 93. Uh, We'll be reading uh, verse 1, Psalms 93, verse 1. The Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he had girded himself. The world also is established, and it cannot be moved. The Lord is clothed with majesty. Uh, let's turn to uh, Psalms 104, verse 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty. See, Brother Anthony, you're in the channel. How great is our God we sing, the splendor of the king, clothed in majesty. Eh? Turn to the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be reading 6 and 7. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Who, speaking of Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself on no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just so appreciate the atmosphere in the sanctuary tonight, Lord. We love to sing your praises, Lord. David said, I was glad when they said to me, come, let's go unto the house of the Lord. And we have come into your house tonight, Lord, because we know that there is joy forevermore. We know that your word, Lord, has the answer to all our needs. We know that, Father, you can see our hearts individually, Lord, but also collectively as a body. You know what we have need of, Lord. So therefore, we believe that you have a word for the season in which we're living. That's going to encourage us. That's going to strengthen us, Lord, and that will draw us closer to you. Our prayer tonight is that you take your word and minister to your people. In the name of Jesus Christ, you pray. Amen. 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 You may have your seats. I'm going to uh, take a page out of uh, Brother Bisco's book here and say, I'd like to have your undivided attention this evening. Uh, if we can just focus tonight, 
no distraction. I pray that God gives special grace to the mothers with the young children. Uh, I'd like to focus on this thought tonight that we're going to talk about, about the grace of God. It's complicated, yet very, very simple. And the reason why I say complicated is that I find personally, uh, just my makeup, is that I have the ability to really grasp complicated subjects in school. That's just my makeup. And so I can really break it down if it's complicated. If it's simple, I don't know how to make it even more simple. So that's the struggle. Yes, the Word of God is so simple. God hides and reveals Himself in simplicity. And to convey the simplicity of God and make it even more simple, I don't know how to do it. But I trust that the Lord will help us tonight to be able to, to convey this thought that I believe will be a blessing to you. Do I have your attention? All right. We're going to be doing more of a study tonight, less of preaching. Uh, just this subject that's been heavy on my heart for the past several weeks. Actually, I've, I've been studying on the dimensions. Just so many things in there that I've been looking into. And some, somewhere along my study, I got into another channel here. And I believe we can start with this. And perhaps, God willing, we can, we can study that in the days to come. So I'd like to speak tonight. My title is The Garment of Simplicity. We talked about how God is clothed in majesty. We talked about the splendor of the king. You know, all the songs that we sang tonight, it's about the majesty of God. His garment is glorious. There is just this, this awesomeness, as we sang, awesome strike, awesome wonder that comes with the mention of the name of Jesus. Whenever we talk about God, we have this feeling of, of glorious. You know, it's a glorious God. He's a powerful God. He's an awestruck God. He's glorious. He's majestic. And we sing of it, right? We pray, we praise God, we read, we read the scriptures that talk about the majesty of God. And God is a great God. Brother Bonnie says, I love to brag on Jesus. Right? There's nobody like God. We, Brother Ryan sings this song, who is like unto our God, comes from scripture. And the earth is filled with his glory. That's what the scripture tells us, right? Heaven and earth is filled with his glory and all creation testifies of the greatness of God. Whether it be the mountaintops, whether it be the valleys. Whether it be the beautiful trees, whether it be, you know, the, the tree, the seed that dies in the fall and then comes back in the resurrection, in the spring. Everything that God made just testifies of His majesty. When you consider the wonders of His hand, you say, how great is our God? We sing that song, right? Oh, Lord, my God, when I'm awesome wonder, when I consider the universe, the works of your hand, I see the stars. We sing those songs. Then sings my soul. My Savior unto thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. We sing about the greatness of God because indeed he is a great God. David, more than anybody else, outsang all humanity when it comes to the greatness of God. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show of his handwork. Psalms 19 verse 1. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and thy wondrous works. Psalms 145 verse 5. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, we read, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, 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 as we sang tonight, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for that pleasure they were created. Amen. Psalm chapter 8, verse 1, O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name. Oh, Jesus, your name is power. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? 
Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Psalms 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor, with majesty. When you think about the clothing of the Lord, you think about this majesty. You think about God being arraigned with precious stones and pearls and gold and everything that's precious to the eye. That's what you think about God. It's how glorious and how majestic this being is. This mysterious God who has no beginning and no ending. Who is a self-existing one. Who by the word of his power can bring worlds into existence. How great is that God? He is a great God tonight, isn't he? Sometimes instead of telling the Lord how big our problems are. We should tell our problems how big our God is. For he is a great God. Oh, Lord, my son has been lost for all these years. Oh, God, I know, I know, the circumstances around him, Lord, what a situation this is. No. Say, oh, Lord, no matter how far he is, you are a great God. I know that you can do all things, Lord. I'm not looking at the circumstances. I'm not looking at where he is. I'm looking at your greatness. I've seen your greatness. I know what you're able to do. I know what you're capable of. I've seen your majestic head. Show me your glory. Tell your problems how great our God is. First Chronicles 29 verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Psalms 96 verse 6. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Psalms 29 verse 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So we see in all the scriptures that we're reading, they hail the majesty of Jesus Christ, of our Lord. All hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel, King of kings, Lord of lords. That's our God. Scripture after scripture, there is two things that, come in, that keeps coming back as we read. It's the majesty and the glory of God. He's clothed in wonders. He's clothed in majesty. He's a glorious God. He speaks with a voice like a crashing cymbal. How glorious our God. That's our God. Amen. How many believe tonight that we serve a great God? There's no God like our God. There's no God above our gods. There's nothing that God cannot do. He's almighty. He's omnipotent. For the Lord our God is mighty. The Lord our God. He is wonderful. All praises be to the King of kings. And the Lord our God. He is glorious. That's what the scripture says, right? Hallelujah, salvation and glory. Honor and power. Unto the Lord our God. Glorious God. Majestic God. We've seen what he's able to do. We've seen the works of his hand. But this God, who's so majestic, he's clothed in the garment of simplicity. The scripture tells us that he's clothed in the garment of majesty. That's true. But we're going to look at how our God can remove that garment and put on a different garment and still remain God. Because God, tonight, what I, want, what I want to convey to you is that God wants to be known. The prophet of God tells us in the, um, 
uh, when he talks about the threefold purpose of God, Christ, and the of God revealed, he said that God wanted to reveal himself. So we know that the purpose of God is to reveal himself. So God wants to be known or he wants to make himself known for who he is, not what he does. God wants to be known for his nature, his essence, not his appearance, not his form. God wants us to seek his face, not his hand. So you see, the world, people come to you, perhaps they know you're Christians, they say, pray for me. Because they know what your prayers can do, and they know what your God can do. So they want prayer, they want something from him. But what the bride wants is him. They want what God can do. They want to see the power of God. They want to see the works and the wonders of his hands. But how many want to see him? God doesn't want to be made known by the things that he does. He wants to be made known by who he is. Denominations can see what God can do. And they can benefit from what God can do. But you, you see who he is. Because that's what he really wants to convey is his nature. You know, the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they wanted to seek God's hand. And they wanted God to do things for them. They constantly cried unto Moses, did this God take us out of Egypt to kill us here in the wilderness? Here there's no water. Give us water. God comes and gives them water. Then they complain, they get hungry. Give us food. And God gives them food. That constantly wanting God to do something for them. Constantly seeking his hand. But Moses, Exodus chapter 33, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Moses wasn't seeking, show me what you can do. Show me your miracles. Show me your might. Show me your magic. Show me your glory. And in the Hebrew, that word glory is a kavod, which means heaviness or weight. It means splendor or glory. So it talks about the weight as, as one standing on the scale, the weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. So the glory of the Lord is the weight of the Lord. It's the heaviness of the Lord. So Moses is saying, I want to see the sum of what you are. The glory of God is the sum of everything he is. It's his weight, his heaviness. That's the glory of God. It's the weight of his person. Now Proverbs 25 tells us, verse 2, it is the glory of God. To conceal a thing. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. So if the glory of God is the sum of who God is, it's his weight, then we realize that the sum of who God is or the nature of God is in concealment. The glory of God is to conceal. The essence of who God is is to hide. The glory of God, one people talk about, show me your glory and the glory of God. The glory of God is to conceal. As a matter of fact, when God tells Moses, he says, you will hide in the rock and I will pass. So the glory of God comes with hiding and concealment. Now, the glory of God in, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, we see here that uh, when they were going to go into possessing the land in Canaan, Joshua was going to divide the land to all the 12 tribes. But to Levi, no land was given unto Levi. Deuteronomy chapter 10 tells us that wherefore Levi have no part nor inheritance with his brethren, the Lord is his inheritance, according to the Lord thy God promised him. 
So all the, all the tribes of Israel got a portion of land. They got something from God. They got a portion of land. But to Levi, God was their portion. Who he was, God was, he says, I am your inheritance. And it's actually beautiful. When you, when you do a study on that, you will find that the tribe of, of, of uh, Levi wasn't allotted any land, but they were giving cities. And there's 48 cities, and six of those 48 cities were city of refuge. The city of refuge was belonging to the tribe of Levi, which speaks of mercy, which speaks of Christ being the city of refuge. Now, I'm just trying to lay a foundation before we go into our subject. Brabham says in the message, God hiding himself in simplicity, then revealing himself in the same 63, uh, 17 of March. This is the message that, that he preaches before the seals. It's a very significant message, and all my thoughts will be mainly coming from this message. He says, and we know that God is so great till we expect it to be some great something. And we miss the simple thing. We stumble over simplicity. That's how we miss God is by stumbling over simplicity. God is so simple until the scholars of these days and all days miss him by a million miles. Because in their intellect, they know that there is nothing like him so great. But in his revelation, he makes himself so simple they go plump over the top of it and miss it. Now, stumbling here, but I want to say that people stumble at the simplicity, right? Stumbling doesn't mean to fall. Stumbling means to almost fall. Stumbling is to lose balance. And sometimes this loss of balance can lead to a fall, but not always. So simplicity is an obstacle that causes people to lose their balance. Simplicity, the way God reveals himself. But Obama says the, the reason why they miss it is by how he reveals himself. Simplicity. So simplicity is that obstacle that calls people to stumble and lose their balance. So my purpose tonight by the grace of God is to remove this obstacle from you so you can walk and remain balanced. So he goes on and says, now study that. Study it all. And you people who are visiting here, when you go to your motel rooms, Take those things and ponder over them. We don't have time to break it down as it should be broke down. So we have time. We're going to break it down. But I want you to do it when you get to the motel or hotel or wherever you're staying or at home. Gather together and study over it. They miss him by the way that he reveals himself. For he is so great, yet hides himself in simplicity to make himself known to the least. Now, if God was complex... If God was complicated, it would take a certain class of people to know him. But God makes himself so simple so that the very least of us can know him. People get so caught up in, and brother, I'm saying, in their intellect, they know that there's nothing like God. Who is like unto our God? There's nobody like God. So in the mind, they make up how God ought to reveal himself. Right? They, why, did the, why did the heathen imagine vain things? There's this concept of, of gloriousness and majesty and wonder that comes with the thought of God. And we form these images in our mind because we're trying to imagine what glory and majesty looks like. And in our imagination, in the way we expect God to reveal himself, we miss it by a million miles. So, but I want to hear in, in this second quote that we read here, he now connects revelation to simplicity. So in other words, revelation is how God makes us recognize him in his simplicity. In other words, revelation prevents the stumbling that simplicity causes. Yeah. 
right? They stumble at his simplicity. But when God gives you revelation, that simplicity is no longer an obstacle. That's why Jesus says, blessed are you if I'm not, uh, in, in the forgotten beatitude, it says, if you're not offended in me. So there is an offense that comes with the word. And you are blessed if you can look past the offense. If you receive revelation, that simplicity is no longer an obstacle. That's what the prophet is trying to convey here. So God always makes himself known to the least. That means that the least of us can receive revelation. That's what Brother Barnum says, that you need to pray for revelation more than anything. He said, revelation means to you more than you can ever imagine. I'm not talking about the book of Revelation, but I'm talking about all revelation. That's from the church age book. So now, I would like to go back to Philippians chapter 2 where we read. You don't have to turn to it. But the scripture tells us, being in the form of God, he took on the form of a servant. So clearly, this scripture conveys a changing of form. Being in the form of God, he took on the form of a servant. And that word here, form, uh, is the Greek word here that we know as believers. It's anamorphe. And Strong's Concordance is G3444 if you want to look it up. But the Old Testament renders this same word as form, countenance, resemblance, figure, likeness. So God took on the appearance or the form or the figure or the likeness or the garment or the nature of the servant. That's what he means here. And you'll find this word only three places in the scripture in the New Testament. This word in Morphe. You find it in Philippians chapter 2 where we read, taking on the form. And you find it in Mark chapter 16 verse 12 which said, after he appeared in another form unto two of them, as they walked and went into the country. So this is referring to the disciples on the way to Emmaus. So when they were walking, Jesus came and walked with them, but he morphed. He was in morphe. He took on another form. Okay, that's the same word there. So when you see there, Jesus joined them on the way. He changed his form. He changed his clothing. He changed his garment. He changed his appearance. Okay? But in Luke chapter 24, verse 16, we see that their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Okay? In Luke chapter 24, verse 25, Jesus rebukes them for failing to see what was happening. In Luke chapter 24, verse 31, it says, and their eyes were open. So God was in a different form. And the disciples that walked with him were not catching that it was Christ walking with them. Then he rebuked them for, not, for failing to see what was going on. But in verse 31, he opens their eyes to see his form. Three things. Okay? There's a changing of form. And there's, there's a need of eyes to be open to recognize or identify that the form has changed. Let's start the slide show you. I'm going to walk you through some quotes with me here. Hopefully, God gives us grace to cover this in time. Rabban says, God changed himself. He changed his form. If you notice here in Philippians, he said, not thinking it robbery, but took the form of man. Now, the Greek word, can you see? It's gone from me now. Can you put it back here? Thank you. 
Now, the Greek word there for that form, I've been looking at it all day yesterday, trying to think about what it was, and I find this word is enmorphe, spelled E-N-M-O-R-P-H-E. Looking into the Greek, we find out what enmorphe was. When he enmorphe, that means when he changed himself, notice here, I put a star here, so I want you to pay attention to this line, he calmed down. When he changed his form, he calms down, number one. Now, the Greek word there means that something that could not be seen, yet it's there, and then it's changed, and the eye can now catch it, see? Now, I see, back to what Brother Tim was covering on Sunday here, uh, Elisha and the servant at Dothan said, the servant couldn't see all those angels around there. And God just changed, not brought the angels down, but he changed the seeing of the servant. So here we see, number one, there's a motion or a movement from heaven to earth. So there's God coming down. Number two, it takes eyes to be open to recognize that. Same as Luke chapter 24. God changes form as he walked with them, but it took the opening of their eyes to recognize it, okay? Now, and there was a mountain full of angels and fires and horses of fire and chariots of fire. All around his prophets, see? He changed the seeing. The thing is already there. So God didn't bring down chariots of fires and angels he only opened the eyes of the servant as you heard on Sunday. He only changed his perspective to understand what was always there in another form. So what I'm trying to say is that God was always, that was, always is here. Actually, if the Lord allows us to get into dimensions, we'll understand this very clearly. God is not somewhere flying in the sky in the heaven. God was always here. Always. When we talk about God condescending or God coming down from heaven, it doesn't mean that God was up there in the galaxy and he literally descended down. It's a metaphor, okay? So God was always here, but the only thing he done when he became a man, when he took on the form of a servant, he changed his mask, right? And he says he's in morphine. He changed himself from what he was to what he is or his mask, another act. Now, he continues and says, back here in Carmen, they acted that in the theater or act or drama where she just graduated a few weeks ago. Now, maybe one person played three or four parts. In order to do that, he has to change his mask. Sometimes he comes out, he's this character, or next time he comes out, he's another character, but it is the same person all the time. So if you're only identifying the character by his appearance, you'll miss it. But if you know who's playing that part, you know it's the same person in this mask, in that mask. It's the same essence, the same nature of the same person. That's God. No matter what form he takes, no matter what garment he is wearing, the elect can identify his nature. Brother Bob says in some place, he says, God said, if I come in the flesh, Abraham will know it. Genesis chapter 18. When God came in the flesh in Genesis 18, God had confidence that Abraham would know it. Abraham knew the nature of God. Abraham knew how God spoke to him. Abraham saw three ordinary looking men. There was no halos walking on, on, on their head. There was no glory to their vestment, to the raiment and garment. They looked like regular people. But Abraham, being a predestinated seed, could look past the veil and see this is God. Right? But he says it's the same person all the time. And at the end of the play, you now found out that the role of Romeo was played by Victor. You know, the role of this person was played by, uh, say, uh, Michael. 
this role was played by Joseph. Now you see in the credit who played what role. And that's what the opening of the seals does. It's to show us in the plan of redemption who played what role. Now three things here, very important things that Brother Branham uh, covers in, uh, when he talks about the meaning of inmorphe. If you remember, I put a star next to each one of them. Number one, he talks about God coming down. So there is this concept that I'm going to uh, spend some time on, this movement from heaven to earth. Number two, he talks about eyes becoming open, right? The servant of Elisha at Dothan, his eyes had to become open to see God in Morphe. Brother, brother Tim Dodd has been covering this very well on a change of perspective, right? Number three, there's a changing of a mask, like in the place, a change of appearance. There's a changing of form. So when we talk about God in Morphe, those three things are involved. So in essence, what Brother Bonham is saying here is that when God leaves heaven and comes down, or when God left heaven, rather, and came down in the earth, in the flesh, he changed his mask and took on the form of a man. And the people that were on earth during this time couldn't see it unless their eyes were open. In essence, this is what he's saying here. When he's talking about God in Morphe, he's saying that there's a movement from heaven to earth. There's a movement from the invisible becoming visible. There's God making himself manifest. But in God doing so, the people on the earth need to have their eyes open or they miss it. This is, in essence, what he's saying. Now, let's go into this thought on the movement from heaven to earth here. He says, now man has their own ideas of what God ought to be and what God is going to do. And as I've made the old statement many times, man still remains man. Man is always giving God praise for what he did do. And always looking forward to what he will do and ignoring what he is doing. See, that's the way they miss it. Now, he says they look back and see what a great thing he has done. But they fail to see what a simple thing he used to do it. And then they look forward ahead and see a great thing coming that's going to happen. And nine times out of ten, it's already happening right around them. And it's so simple they don't know it. See? Now he says this. Three things again. What God did in the past is great. What God will do in the future is great. What God is doing is simple. Present tense. This is what he's saying. So if you look, if you look in a beautiful building, if you look at a, a beautiful building that's finished, so you're looking in the past, that building has been finished, you can appreciate the majesty of that building. It's beautiful. It's done. It's in the past. Now, if you look at the design of a building that is to come, as you see on the construction site, you see the image of what is to come. It's also beautiful. Oh, what a beautiful building it's going to be when it's finished. But when you look at a construction site, there's no beauty to it. It's simple. When you look at something that's completed in the past, it's great. When you look at something that is to come, it's great. When you look at something that is happening, there's no beauty to it. There's no splendor to it. There's no majesty to it. Majesty belongs to the past, belongs to the future, but present tense is always simple. What God did is great. What God will do is great. What God is doing is simple. 
The past is great. Oh, we look at the Bible, what God did in the past. It's great. God came in the flesh. He died for our sins. He rose again on the third day. That's great. God is coming. There's going to be a rapture. There's going to be a millennium. You know, as believers, there's going to be a third pool. There's going to be the manifestation of the sons of God. What's coming is great. But what's happening right now is simple. Now let's go back to this quote here. He says, when they look forward and see a great thing coming, that's going to happen nine times out of ten. The odds are not good. Nine times out of ten, it's already happening. I-N-G. Right? Present tense. It's happening. So what is Brother I'm saying? What God did in the past, that's done. But what we call future, what we expect in the future, you are already in the midst of it. And you don't know. In other words, God is not static. God doesn't wait for a time in the calendar to begin doing something. God puts things in motion. And at any given point in time, you are always in the middle of something that God is doing. Always. You are always in the midst of something that God is doing. Present tense. People are waiting for a rapture. You are in the midst of the rapture. What you're waiting for is happening. I-N-G. You are in the midst of it. But the problem is the garment that God uses in present tense is simplicity. The garment that he used in the past, majestic. The garment of future events, glorious. But what God is doing present tense, simple. Nine times out of ten, they miss it. Now, point number two, the opening of the eyes, right? We talked about number one, it's this movement coming down from heaven. Number two, the eyes have to come open. Everyone says, like Elijah was at Dothan, the servant couldn't see all those angels around. And God just changed, not brought the angels down, but he changed the seeing of the servant. So what the servant was looking for, and let me go back to some of the things that Brother Tim said on Sunday. The servant woke up and he was scared because of what he saw. So what he was looking for was safety. What he was looking for was peace. What he was looking for was comfort. What he was looking for was security. What he was looking for was assurance. What he was looking for was deliverance, was a way of escape. He was troubled. But what he was looking for was already there. He was in the midst of what God was doing at that point in time and did not know it. Right? But when you and I look back at the scripture, how glorious was that? But while he was in the midst of it, it was every day's motions, fear, and the prophet says, calm down. Lord, open his eyes. Because this is God in Morphe. Unless you open his eyes or unless you change his perspective, he's not going to see what God is doing. Pray for revelation. Unless God opens your eyes or change your perspective or change your understanding or change your attitude towards your day and his message, you will miss what God is doing. Present tense. What the servant was looking for was always there. Little bride, what you're looking for, you are in the midst of what you're waiting for. It's already here. All you need is more revelation to see what's already here. Amen. 
He was already in the midst of it. He just didn't know it. Amram was praying for deliverance because of what was happening in Egypt. Every day going up in the upper room, Brother Ram says, and praying and fasting and praying and fasting until it was so thin. He was in the midst of what God was about to do, what God had already put in motion. Because for God to send a deliverer, you need a Pharaoh that doesn't know Joseph. For God to bring you out of Egypt to possess the land, you need a, a, a Pharaoh that's going to put your people in bondage. You are already in the midst of what God is going to do. You just don't know it. Then Amram prayed and prayed and prayed. And Abraham says, God sent an angel and came to Abraham to Amram and say, Calm down. Your son is that deliverer. In other words, you are going to have a seed which you already possess in you. You just don't know it, but you are already in the midst of what I'm doing in these last days. Amram, you are in the heart of it. Little bride, you are in the heart of what God is doing in these last days. It's happening and you are caught up in the midst of it. You just don't know it. And you're looking afar off, waiting for something to happen. You're looking back, praising God for what he did. Don't miss what you are in the midst of. All you need is revelation. Now, in the message why I'm going to go into this, Brother Bonham talks about this lady that was so poor. She had sent her son to India, and he was a businessman. And she was poor and poor and poor till she sold everything she had. She was forced to sell her house, and she was forced to sell everything because she was starving. So the county sent a man to investigate her situation. And she had a son that was in India who used to send her these checks, you know, words, these beautiful pictures. And Brahman says, then the man came, the, the, the man the government sent to investigate, said, how come he's not sending you anything? She said, oh, I don't know, maybe he's struggling too, but I, he's a wonderful boy regardless. He sent me these beautiful pictures. The guy said, show, show me those pictures. So Brahman says, now she went over and pulled out of the Bible about $100,000 worth of Indian drafts from the bank. She didn't know what they were. They had pretty pictures on them, but she didn't know what they were. She was a rich woman and didn't know it. She found her treasures in the Bible. So now let's see what Brother is saying here. He's saying she didn't know what she was in possession of. She was rich and didn't know it. The very opposite of Laodicea, who, is, who, is, who thinks she's rich, but she's actually poor. Yeah. Right. Now, in both cases, the issue is a lack of eyesight. Mm. Laodicea thought she was rich, but she was poor. This woman thought she was poor, but she was rich. In both cases, what caused it, it was a lack of eyesight. It took a man from the government to show her the value of what she had. That's why... That's why one was blinded by the, to the fact that she was poor, Laodicea, and this one was blinded to the fact that she was rich. So the government had to send an agent to reveal to her the significance of what she had. And that's why in these last days, God's government had to send a prophet, Amen. an agent in this last day, to change your perspective regarding what you have in your possession so that you will realize that you are rich while you think you're poor? 
right? So God sent prophet optics in these last days to open our eyesight. That's what God says in the book of Laodicea, in the, in the book of Revelation chapter 3, to the church age of Laodicea, buy from me eyesight that you may see. Why? Because your perspective or your understanding or your revelation or your attitude is wrong. You don't, you don't know what the reality is. You think that you're rich, but you're actually poor. And you, little church, you think you're poor, but you're actually rich. Brother, let me tell you something tonight. That woman had stuff to eat. She had clothes to wear. She was rich and didn't know it. And tonight you are rich and you don't know it. The Bible here may be hid from your eyes, but God wrote promises here that will make you rich in the spirit. It will do things for you that you didn't think it could ever do because you just didn't know what was in your possession. You are praying, oh God, I'm lacking this, so I need this. You already possess what it takes to obtain what you need. It's in your midst, but you keep waiting for it. There's a difference between looking at and looking for. You know, Brother Bonham talks about during the opening of the seals, there were six dreams that people had in the church, and Brother Bonham had a vision. So six dreams with a vision, seven events. And one of those dreams was that there was a place on a rock on which the sun had never shined before. And Brother Bonham's instruction was, look on this. It wasn't look for, look on. If you're looking for, you're missing what you have. Your attitude should no longer be, Lord, do something for me in the future. Lord, show me what you've already done, what's happening now. Don't give me something more. Show me what you've already given me. He can't give you more word. He can only make it more real. So for it to become more real, you need to spend more time looking at as opposed to looking for. Now let's talk about the changing of the mask. Remember, let's summarize again. Three things when Bible talks about in Morphe. God coming down. As I said, it's a movement from heaven to earth. There's a point in this. Then those that are on earth need their eyes open. And then God changing his mask. Three things. Now let's talk about the changing of the mask. When we look into what God is doing in this last church age, we see these three things. In Revelation chapter 10, there's a mighty angel that comes down from heaven. Right? Amen? Amen. 10.1. The mighty angel comes down from heaven. There's this movement of coming down from heaven to earth. In Revelation chapter 3, as you spoke, Laodicea is blind. They don't have eyes to see what God is doing. And now... As the mighty angel comes down with the open book, what actually happens is that he gives us that open book through the ministry of a prophet, through the mask, or through the garment of a son of man, revealing the son of man. What this is, is God in Morphe. You see these three principles in this last day. It's God changing his form, but to do that, he comes down from heaven. The people on earth need their eyes open to identify God in the form that he takes. Now, Brother Abraham talks about this. He talks about the change of mask in the play, right? That's the last point he makes, the changing of mask. So when we're talking about the changing of mask, it's not just a mask as you would expect on your face. It's a change of garment. 
because when you're playing a different part, you have to dress the part. So everything changes. It's not, don't think about a mask on your face, literally, but think about the person playing that part changes his appearance. It's a changing of form. So it's a changing of garment or a changing of mental. So it's not God in these last days. It's the son of man in ministry, not the son of God as it was during the church ages. So there's a change that happens in the last days. As Brother Thomas often said in the Greek, when God in the morphia changes form, there has to be a prophet on the earth, as we've heard many times, to identify that God has changed his form and let you know. So when we talk about God condescending, God coming down from heaven to earth, when Jesus came on earth, he removed the garment of his majesty. He removed the garment of his glory. And he took on the form or the garment of a simple servant. Right? And we know this. This is simple. Just trying to make it more simple. So he comes and is born in a stable. Having no beauty that one may desire to look upon him. Made lower than the angels. He even cried out once, glorify me with the glory that I had when I was with you. In other words, he left that glory in heaven when he came down. He removed that garment and took on a different garment. So in the process of condescending, the glorious or the majestic garment of the word is left behind. And then the word gets wrapped into simple garments of simplicity. I want you to catch this thought. When God makes that movement from heaven to earth, when God condescends, when God makes himself manifest, he removes his garment. He leaves behind the majesty that attracts the eye. And he takes on the form of a man that has no beauty to even look upon him. Because the word is always wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's the word beyond badger skin. So, God originates from eternity. This is smaller than I, than I thought it would be. And then the destination is time. So, one is eternity, one is time. God leaves eternity and he's making this movement towards time. There's an unfolding of God, okay? There's a condescending of God. On this end here, it's supernatural in this description. When Isaiah prophesies, a virgin shall conceive, and he shall call his name Prince of Peace, right? Mighty God, the everlasting Father. What a glorious event to expect. It's majestic. There's this mysterious element about it. Wow, how is this going to happen? It's glorious. It comes from the heavenly realm. But... In its unfolding, when it's fulfilled, it's natural in how it comes to pass. It's a manifestation, it's simple. It's in simplicity and humility, and it happens in the natural routine of everyday life events. Amen. God said to Adam, or to the serpent, he, says, or he said, the seed of the woman will crush your head. That seed of the woman was always coming. It was in motion. But how did Jesus come? Through everyday life events. Here's Abraham, leave your family Follow me. Abraham leaves. You know, he has issues, he has issues with, with uh, the shepherds of fighting, and Lot happens, Lot leaves. Everyday events. You go all the way to David, and David has his kingdom, and everyday king doing king's things, right? God condescending, everyday life event. And there is Joseph. Sees this Mary, falls in love with her, everyday life event. Fall in love. Nothing spiritual about that, right? When you think about it, it's just natural, everyday event. Fall in love, and then, then comes. A supernatural happening. And now, 
Now Joseph is in the midst of what God is doing, yet he doesn't understand it, and he doesn't know it. It takes an angel to come to him in a dream to change his perspective towards Mary. Because he's thinking about secretly putting her away. And God is saying, Joseph, what is happening? You're in the midst of the fulfillment of Scripture. You don't know it. That thing is of the Holy Spirit. Change the way you're looking at it. Right? And then that changed his attitude to see the simplicity that God was doing in the midst. To everybody else, it was Jesus born of an illegitimate birth. A couple with a bad reputation in a neighborhood. That's all it was. It was a crying baby in the womb, in the arms of a mother. God Almighty in flesh. Now, when the prophecies, as you see, when the prophecies leave the mind of God, and I'm, we're talking about Jesus because Jesus is a word, and I don't want you to just think about the corporal body of Jesus Christ. I'm making a point. I'm talking about the person of the word, not in this corporal body 2,000 years ago. This is a characteristics of the word. When the word leaves the mind of God, the very moment they leave the lips of a prophet announcing them, they put away the glorious garment. I wanted to catch this. And they began to take on the shape and the form of natural events. Simple, everyday life Amen. events. Yes. Yet, they're caused by an unseen prophetic hand. Everyday event. And this is why the religious mind miss it. Because their imagination is so fixated on the glorious characteristics of God, but they're forgetting His nature. So they're expecting, oh, what a glorious prophecy this is. This is going to happen in such a glorious way. But God says, uh-uh. When I manifest myself, when I make this movement from heaven into the earth, I leave this garment behind. If you don't catch my nature, you will miss it. And that's why, that's the difference that we see between the gifts of the Spirit and the giver, the Word. Because gifts of the Spirit are glorious in their operation, right? If we're sitting here and somebody stands up and starts speaking tongues and another person rises up and starts inter- interpreting, whoa, there's this awe, right? There's this wonder, there's this majestic element that comes with it. It's glorious. It's supernatural. But the Word, as it comes across the pulpit... It's humble. It's simple, yet powerful. Because the word doesn't draw attention. This is why people are always attracted to gifts more than the word. This is why Pentecost always tries to reproduce speaking in tongues and prophecies and so forth and major on it because there's this glorious, majestic garment that comes with the operation of it. But they can't see the simplicity of the word. And that's the difference between deliverance and overcoming. When a person gets delivered in the service, it's a glorious happening. It's a demonstration of force and power. It's God coming and cutting out all the chains in your life. You're about for 10 years and the word of God comes in such power and, and all of a sudden you're loose and your chains are gone and you're free. It's glorious. And people want that. I want to get delivered. I want deliverance. And they're constantly wanting to get delivered. But overcoming it's simple. Overcoming doesn't have a glorious element to it. It's an everyday walk with the Lord. Simply applying the word. Every day. And that's what the promise is 
to him that will overcome, not to him that will deliver, be delivered. Deliverance is God taking the sword of the word and cutting chains in your life. Overcoming is God equipping you with the sword of the word and saying, now fight. Deliverance is Moses and his ministry bringing you out of Egypt and setting you free from Pharaoh's bondage. Overcoming is Joshua saying, go possess what is yours. One is deliverance, one is overcoming. That's why people always want to get delivered and delivered and delivered. You can get delivered and get bound by something else. Don't look at the shiny element of the glorious majesty of deliverance. Look at the simplicity of overcoming because the promise is for the overcomer. The overcomer applies the word every day in every situation. It's simple. But the guy was bound by chains. He needs somebody to come and help him. He needs the power to set him free. Then he gets bound and entangled by something else. Unable to apply the word in its simplicity. Always looking for a demonstration of force. Tell us who hit you. Right? God doesn't clap for anybody. Wanting to see the demonstration of force. Tell us. Discern us. Tell us who hit you. Tell us. Yet God in flesh. In simplicity. That they cannot see. Careful. Careful, little bright. What you have is enough. Apply the word every day because the promise is for the overcomer. The promise is not to the one who gets delivered. The promise is the one who is able to daily walk with the Lord in simplicity. How do you overcome? By a day-to-day application of the word in every circumstances. The devil says, you say, it is written. The devil comes this way, it is written. It's just a daily application of the word. How did Jesus overcome? Brother says he never used any of his powers to do it. Why? Because Jesus didn't need the majestic of the power of God. He looked at the power of simplicity. It is written. Overcoming power is a daily walk. Supplying the word in every situation. And that is simple. That's why people miss it. That's why you find churches where a lot of people constantly need to get delivered. Unable to apply the word in simplicity. Wanting a show of force. Wanting a demonstration of power. Wanting a sensation. Wanting to feel God flex his muscles. Take the word. There's no greater flex than the word. What is more powerful than the word? But because the word is wrapped in garments of simplicity. And you're walking in the store and you look in the garment. I don't want that. It looks too simple. I want this fancy garment. That's what I want. I don't want to just apply the word every day. I want Brother Tom to come and pray a powerful prayer over me so I can be free. But Brother Tom wants you to apply the word. He wants you to overcome. Because you come here to get prayed for, you go back, you come back, you go back, you come back. There's going to be a time where you ought to take the word and apply it in simplicity. That's what we're preaching for. It's to take it to a place of faith in what the word says you are. It's simple, but there's power behind it. The first two pulls are glorious. One is take them by the hand and you feel something in your hand. Brother says, come, can you see the physical result of what that's happening in my hand? You see those little dots on my arm? Yeah, that's cancer. You see that? That's tuberculosis. Wow! It's glorious. Majestic. Wow. Powerful. The second pull, your name is Julie. You work here. This is what you do. You work with Darren Hoffman. You work on the message app. You come from India. You're currently working with John. Is all this thing true? Lift up your hand. Whoa! Powerful. 
glorious, majestic demonstration of force and power. Oh, great is our God. The third pool is in a tent. And it's not a public show. And the third pool is the simplicity of the opening of the word, yet it's the most sublime act in all the Bible. When the Lamb takes the book and loses those seals, there's nothing more glorious than that. But it's fulfillment. It's so simple. And people say, give me the first pool. Give me the second pool. The third pool is boring. That's what the dust denomination, right? They wanted to see, give me that sign. Show me that sign again. Brother Biscoe preached years ago. He, he was showing that when Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness, he said, if you're the son of God, change these stones into bread. And Brother Biscoe says, I love this. He says, in other words, show me that creative power again. Because it was there in the beginning. He could see what creative power was. And he's like, show it to me again. Speak something. Let me see the majesty of that one thing I cannot have. I can't create, but you can do it. Speak it. Speak it. Show me that majestic. Jesus says, uh-uh. Man should not live by bread alone. But, but the simplicity of everyday living, the word that comes out of the mouth of God. The garment of simplicity. So the garment of prophecy is not the same thing as the garment of manifestation. An example. Brother Michael was standing here as he often does to make an announcement. Dressed sharp, wearing his nice suit and a tie. Comes on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, say that next week we're gonna have a work be at the camp, right? Let's all show up Saturday at 12 o'clock. We're gonna work and clean up the camp. He's dressed in a different apparel. When he shows up at the camp, he's not wearing a suit, nor is he wearing a tie. He puts on garment to get to work. So when he announced the work be, or he prophesied what was to come, he wore a different garment than when he stepped in time to fulfill what he said. So the garment of fulfillment or manifestation is not the same as a garment of prophecy. So when you're expecting something to come to pass, that glorious element that's attached to it, when it's announced, it's put behind. And when it's fulfilled, it's simple. Many of you, when you're expecting God to do a miracle for you, perhaps for the EBA for your eyes to come open, or Sister Ella, or anybody else with a great name, or Sister Rena, all those great needs in the church, you're expecting something glorious. Maybe there's a service and the, the atmosphere is so charged and the power of God comes behind the pulpit and somebody under inspiration is speaking and EBS stands up and raises both hands and says, I can see! Oh, what a rejoicing that is! And God can do it. But perhaps it's in the morning. The son of God waking up. Rubs his eyes, he's tired. And he sits down and says, Oh Lord, I would love to read my Bible. Wait a minute. I can see. That's glorious. But that's not a public show. That's simple. That's powerful. But in our mental conception, how are this going to be? What a service that's going to be when those eyes come open. What a service that's going to be when my child comes running through those doors. It could be as simple as a father wrapping his arms around his son and saying, I love you. And then he melts and says, lead me to thy Christ. What are you imagining when you're expecting from God? Are you looking at the glorious garment? Or are you looking at a garment of simplicity? Because either way, it is glorious. It's still the same person. Whether you're acting as Tom, or as Michael, or Murphy, or whether the, it doesn't matter which mask God uses, it's the same God. Whether he does it with a crashing cymbal and thunder, or in a small, still voice, it's the same God.
I'm going to close soon here. I have one page left. Bury me. So when God came in the flesh of Jesus, his first words as a human being, God in flesh. Yet in contrast, when Moses talked about this God, the first words he records in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And God said, let there be light. Majestic and glorious. That God comes in flesh. Same Elohim. Same power. Different garment. The same God whose first words in the Bible in Genesis 1 are full of power. Created power. His first words as a human being are the feeble cry of a baby. Here... As he comes in the flesh, he removes his garment of majesty and he wraps himself in garment of simplicity. The God who is the help in the time of need. That God needed help in a time of need. Somebody to carry his cross. The one who is the life giver. The one who is the deliverer. Now he's being delivered by a, ba- by a woman. The God who is El Shaddai, the strength giver, and say, Abraham, nurse from me. I'm the blessed one. Now he's nursing from a woman born in sin. Think about it. That's living a garment of majesty and putting on a garment of simplicity. The God who is a comforter, and now he's being comforted as a baby. Now, anybody can see. A majestic God. But how many can see God in simplicity? Anyone can see God in a preacher. When he preaches under the anointing. And you can see all those words that are coming out of his mouth. All the words of God. It's powerful. It's majestic. How it's demonstrated. But how many see God in the one who's vacuuming the carpet of the sanctuary? In the garment of simplicity. Anybody can see God in the sister who stands up in the service and speaks in tongues. But how many will see God in the sister washing the dishes at home while listening to a tape? Anybody will see God in the sister standing here and singing and when heavenly places. How many will see God in the mother rocking a baby and singing a lullaby? Same God. A different garment. This lamb that came into the world one day in Revelation 21 verse 23. The city had no need of the sun. Neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the lamb was the light. When you get there, that lamb will put on his garment of glory again, and he'll wrap himself in light, and he will, he will be the light of that city. But on earth, he's a form of a servant, meek. Now, the scripture on the left here is the Old Testament, and on the right is the New. As a red, bless the Lord, O my soul. Thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty. In his fulfillment, Isaiah says, For you shall grow up before him as a tender plant. On the left side, it says, And the Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty. But he says, He has no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And he says, And one cried unto another, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. On this side, you want it fulfilled. 
He's made lower than the angels. On this side, thou hast not known, how hast thou not heard that everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainted not, neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. On this side here, he says, not even the sun knows these things. On one side, he's glorious and majestic. And when it comes in the flesh and when it's fulfilled, it's simple. Let's skip this. On one side, no man is his counsel and he needs no permission. On the other side, he can't do anything unless the Father shows him. On one side is the breasted one, El Shaddai. On the other side, he nurses from a woman born in sin. On the other side, he owns a cat on a thousand hill. On this side, he doesn't even have a place to lay his own head. On the other side, he never tires, never slumbers, nor sleeps. On this side, he's sleeping in a boat through a storm. Different garments. Can I have five minutes? I want to close with this thought on the rapture. I was saying all this to build up to this. The disciples came to Jesus and say, Why do the scribes say, Elias must first come? Jesus said, He has come. Right? The disciple had the order of his coming right. The order wasn't the issue. They knew the order of events. A forerunner will come. A last will come. Then the Messiah will come. But then why did the scribes say the Messiah, the Elias will come first if you are the Messiah? Jesus says, oh, he's already come. John, he's Elias. So the context or the order of events is not the issue. The issue is catching it when it's happening. As believers, we know the order of his coming. We know the order of events. The Lord himself shall descend with a shout, with a voice, with a trumpet. We know these things. And we know there's going to be a persecution. We know the bride is gone before the tribulation. We know it's going to be three and a half years. We know all those things. We know the sequence and the order of events. Daniel is instruction to, to Gabriel. Go read that. Daniel said many weeks. Go read the rapture. Go read the seals. Go read all the feasts of the trumpets that the brother mentioned. Go read them. You'll see the order. That's not the issue. The issue is when you're in the midst of it, can you identify it? Can you play that audio clip for me? I'm going to skip this quote here for the sake of time here. I'm going to play something that so blessed me from the message. God hides and reveals himself in simplicity. And then we'll close. Are you ready? I want to shock you a little bit. The rapture will be the same way. It'll be so simple. No doubt it'll be likewise. Till the rapture will come one of these days and nobody will know nothing about it. Now, don't, don't, don't get up now, but study just a minute. I'm sure enough closing. The rapture will come in such a simple way till the judgments will fall, and they'll see the Son of Man, and they'll say, wasn't we supposed to have such and such, and wasn't there supposed to be a lie sent to us, and wasn't there supposed to be a rapture? Jesus will say, it's already happened, and you didn't know it. I wanted to play this audio because it blesses me to see the people catching it. Because if you listen to the, to the tape and you get to that part and you heard the response of the people, all of a sudden the eyes come open. And they're seeing what the prophet is saying. People are going to be on earth in the tribulation saying, we know the order. There's supposed to be a rapture before a tribulation. So this can't be the tribulation because there hasn't been a rapture. The rapture would have happened. 
and they would not have known it. Some people that are not serving the Lord are backsliding. They think they'll be, all, they'll be able to tell when those events happen. Oh, it's time to repent now because, yeah, yeah, this is, the rapture is about to happen. I better get serious now. You won't know it. You're going to be in it. And you say, shouldn't there be a rapture? The rapture would have happened and you would have missed it. Because knowing the order of events doesn't save you. What saves you is revelation to see what God is doing in your day. So you're able to identify what time you're living in. Those prophecies being fulfilled, as Brother, Brother Tom ministered two weeks ago, I so enjoyed that service. It's in time. It's not in eternity. It's in time. Those things happen in time. What is time made of? Everyday life. Everyday events. As simple as, as, uh, as uh, the Hamas attacking Israel. It looks political. It's political conflicts. Countries and nations fight all the time. What's supernatural about that? Simple life events. Right? As simple as somebody going missing. And Brother Bonham says, I'm not going to read the quote because I need to close now. He says that if 500 people disappeared now, nobody will know anything about it. Can you put back the slide? I want to read that, this last quote here, this last number, because I was intrigued by that statement. Say, so you mean to tell me 500 people disappeared today at once? I won't know it. Say, so I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. Not because I was doubting, because I knew the prophet was right. In 2022, 31,334 children and 33,393 adults went missing in Canada. 14,000 are in British Columbia. 10,644 of, of, of those people that disappeared was for unknown reasons. Did you hear about it? How many heard about it? Lift up your hand. How many heard that in 2022 there were 31,000 people that disappeared? Who heard about it? How many know that right now in BC is about 14,000 people missing? Who hears about it? In 2021, according to the National Crime Information Center, 521,000 people were missing in the U.S. 93,000 were still actively missing in 2022. In India... 2,130 people go missing every day. 64,000 go missing every month. Do you hear about it? Do we still have camp services? Do we still get baptized? Do we still preach? Do we still sing specials? Do we still listen to tapes? Do we still listen to our Bible? Do we still have altar calls? Do we still have prayer lines? Doesn't life go on and on? But nobody knows about this. That's how the rapture is going to be. Brother Adam says, people will be going to church and singing specials. Having missed the rapture and not knowing it. People will be coming at the altar and repenting. People will be getting baptized. Preachers will be preaching. Churches will be open. People will be practicing for specials. People will be having communion. There will be camp services. And you don't know the rapture has happened. Because these events are happening. It doesn't change our life. We live on. Do you think it's going to change their lives? No. Right, but it goes on to explain why. Now, I looked this up in the UK. They say 8 out of 10 of people miss or disappear because of mental issues. Unknown or, or known. 3 out of 10 because of relationship breakdown. Dementia, escaping violence, financial problems, etc. Brother Bonham says, if I could find the last quote, he says, think everything will move on just as common as it can be. A fanatic message will go by, and the first thing you know, something will say, this minister went somewhere, and he never come back. 
he probably went to the woods hunting. He just never returned no more. This fellow went somewhere. You know what happened? I believe that young girl, she must have been caught up away somewhere. In other words, there's going to be an actual explanation for the reason why they're missing. It's not going to be like, oh, there must have been a rapture. These people are missing 10,000 people. It's because there is a rapture. There's going to be a rationale, an intellectual explanation as to why they are missing. And life will go on and on. It happens all the time. Two, a couple will go camping and be caught up in a rapture. They will investigate and see the garments in the tents. Like, ah, maybe they got killed by the bear. They were camping. It's going to be normal. There's not going to be a majestic event that's going to shake the world. When people think about the rapture, they think it's going to be this big show that the whole world will pause and think, what just happened? Wrong. Pentecostal understanding of what the rapture is, of what heaven is, of what the millennium is going to be like, of what hell is. But a prophet has been sent in these last days to show you the true way of seeing it. Simplicity. The rapture will happen in such simplicity and people want to know it has happened. And they will say, well, you know what? Shouldn't there be a third pool? The prophet said that what you've seen in part in my ministry, when the squares will come, you will see it in its fullness. Shouldn't there be a demonstration of force by the third pool? So how, how is there a rapture yet? I'm not seeing limbs being spoken in existence. Like, aha. What is past is great. What is future is great. What is present is simple. In other words, when you look at the third pool in the past, in Brother Abraham's ministry, it's great. Little fish, I give you back your life. Right? Speak to the bees. I had it right. I give you your children. All those different things. Let there be a screw here, here. It's great because it's in the past. When you're expecting the Christ, the Christ to come for that third pool to be in its fullness, it's also great in your mind. Just wait for that Christ to come. You'll see that third pool. We're waiting for that third pool. But when that third pool comes, we'll have more power than we have now. When that third pool comes, it's great. That third pool is here. Quit waiting for it. It is here. Yeah. Brother says, he says clearly, he says the, the third pool is thoroughly identified. The third pool is vindicated. And I have a quote where he says the third pool is here. Yeah. Christ is the mission of God revealed in the closing of the service. And the clock is right at two o'clock on the dot. The, the end of the second pool. Simple. What is he telling you? The third pool you're waiting for. Let me ask you, what does it look like? What are you waiting for? I'm here to tell you that what you're waiting for, it is right here in the midst. All it's going to be is more revelation. Because more revelation means more power lost to you. It's not an additional power that's coming from somewhere else. The third point that you're waiting for is right in your midst. The manifestation of the sons of God, what is it going to look like? You're going to feel different than Margaret? You're going to feel different than Billy? Are you going to feel different than Michael? You're going to wake up different and feel like, now nah, I'm a son of God. I've come to the full manifestation. Do you think that's what it's going to feel like? Let me ask you, what does a son of God feel like? What does it feel like to be a son of God? What did Jesus feel like? The Bible tells us, and I apologize, I'm over time now. Let me just end here. The Bible tells us this. When, when Samson had his hair cut by Delilah, and Delilah said, Samson, the Philistine are upon you. The scripture says he rose up thinking he was going to destroy them like the other two times, but he did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. Amen? So if Samson didn't know when the Spirit left him, it means that Samson didn't feel any different when the Spirit was on him. 
It didn't feel any different. Or else he would have known. He would have, oh, I feel different now. God had left me. He didn't know because it didn't feel like anything. Being anointed, being the bride, being a son of God, being manifested, it doesn't feel like anything. There's no feeling to it. It's perfect faith in who you are. That's what it is. That's all it is. Quit looking for something. Look at. Look at it. That third pool is right here. The word is in your mouth. That's the third pool. Don't wait for it. Parents, what are you waiting for? Some supernatural power to come in your mouth so you can claim your children? That power is in you. What are you waiting for? I lose my voice when I get to preaching because I'm not a preacher. <laughs> it's in you. I have to close that because of time. Let's stand. But I'm going to say this. Stop looking for. Look at. Now are we the sons of God. Beloved, now are we. It's not going to happen in the future. We are now. But it does not appear yet. But when it shall appear. All that the scripture is telling us that you don't know it yet. But now you already are. That third pool. Do you think it's coming? It's here. That third pool is here. The more you believe it, the sooner you understand it, the more you can start speaking and believing it. Because it's in your mouth. The opening of the word is the third pool. Here we are, sons of God, believing in what the prophet said, believing in who God is, and believing in who we are. Because that's righteous faith. It's to have faith in who you are. Quit looking for. Look at. Don't be caught up in the majesty of the future. Look at the garment of simplicity. And the word of God being delivered. And his word is power. It heals the sick. It saves the, the sick. It saves the lost. It raises the dead. The word that's so simple does those things. If I told somebody here, if you can just believe what I'm telling you, you can be healed right now. It's going to be like, I don't know. It's that simple. Of course. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for some demonstration of power? What's more powerful than the word that I'm preaching? If you believe what I'm telling you right now, you can have what you need. Don't wait for anything else in the word of God being preached to you. That's what's going to do it. It's not going to take another service for God to save your children. Take the simplicity of the word and take it into your heart. Believe it. It's so simple. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Maybe we can sing the splendor of the king. Clothed in majesty. But now, when you sing it, realize how simple this God is. Realize that the garment of splendor is not what you think it is. What does it look like? It looks like this. Your brother. What does power look like? The word. That's what it looks like. What does the third book look like? The mysteries that are released in the thunders, in the seals. That's rapturing faith. What does rapturing faith look like? Playing the, play the tapes and you have them. Because the rapturing faith it is in those tapes. It's so simple. What you're looking for, it's right here. Rapture, what does the rapture look like? A body of believers having heard the shout. The bread of life bringing forth the bride. Brother Adam says, what does it look like? It's right here. All it's going to be is a glorious change in the atoms in simplicity. Brother Adam says it's in continuity, continuity of the scriptures. It's just one day you step into another body. Simple. It's not going to be like earthquake, lightning, thunder, the rupture is coming. Simple. Brother Adam says some will be, one will be in the bed, 
one will be taken. That means some will be sleeping. It's just so simple. You're not going to be like fast and pray, fast and pray, fast and pray. We read that quote on Sunday, but let's read it. They're saying fast and pray, fast and pray because they're feeling something. But they're missing the awakening of the bride. It's not going to be a lot of exercise of efforts. It's going to be simple. Say, Lord, increase my faith to see what I am in your word. Let's worship. Brother Anthony, if you can help me. to the door called beautiful he saw this man that was crippled and he said silver and gold I have none but such as I have I give unto thee rise up and walk did Peter feel any type of anointing on him or did he just take God at his word 
I love it when brother says, sometimes I listen to tape, you say, if I were you, I'll get up of that wheelchair. If I were you, I'll throw away those glasses. If I were you, what is he saying? He's like, you don't have to be in that condition. All you need to do is accept the simplicity of, that, of the word of God. If I were you, I'll go home rejoicing and say, Lord, thank you for saving my children. If I were you, I'll go home singing. If I were you, I'll go home well. If I were you, I'll get healed right now. If I were you, I'll take out at his word. If I were you, that's what I would do. Just take the simplicity of the word of God. It's so simple. You don't need to feel anything. Simplicity. It's not a garment of majesty. It's simplicity. God takes a garment of simplicity and robes you in it. And then you're healed. Simple. If I were you. I'll go back home free tonight. If I were you, that's what I would do. I'll say, Lord, thank you very much for healing me. I'm going home rejoicing night and day. If I were you, I'll say, oh, I'm delivered. Thank you, Lord, for my deliverance. I'm going home rejoicing. If I were you, that's what I would do. Can I give you a testimony? How many forgive me for being late? I know I'm laboring here. Forgive me. I'll just give you one testimony and we can go home here. How many have always have had a need for something and say, Lord, perhaps financial need, and say, Lord, I, I really need some support here. Financially, Lord, do something for me. And you're expecting something so spectacular. You know, you say, maybe I'm going to wake up and I'll check my bank account and there's $10,000. You know, that's going to be supernatural. You know what that looks like? I had a need. A few months ago, I was like, Lord, I need you to step in for me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I prayed about it. I committed in the hands of the Lord. I get an email from a manager a couple of days after that. He said, Jean, you know, there's some commissions that were paid out to the entire team three weeks ago and they forgot you. So on your next paycheck, you're going to get that commission. What does that look like? Simplicity. Isn't that God providing? What made them forget? To include me in the first one. God knew I had a greater need coming. So he made them withhold it temporarily. That's God answering prayer. What are you expecting? Some supernatural $10,000 in my account. It looks so simple. Simplicity. God, give me a need. Oh, brother so-and-so, can you help me with this? I, I heard that you're a good painter. That's God providing for your needs. It's that simple. Your expectation is so glorious. A sister was telling me the other day, she said she was looking out of the window and there was a tree blocking the view. She said, oh, it would be good if I could really have a beautiful view. A couple days after that, that tree bent down. And it was like this. And now she could see clearly. Isn't that God answering prayer? What do you think it looks like? Do you think it's going to be her standing and saying, oh, you tree, black out, get out of here, go paint yourself over there. That's what people imagine. It was a simple thing, oh, Lord, it would be good if I had a nice view. And the word goes to work. And the power of the word brings that to subjection. And now she has a view. What's that? The word. What do you think it's going to look like? Stop imagining things. It's in simplicity. Lord, open my eyes. Like that servant in Dothan. Make me see God in Morphe. Let's pray. Father, we love your word. Lord, I pray that you forgive me for being, for laboring so much. Lord, I just had this burden on my heart to convey this as I believe with all my heart that you're speaking to us tonight. Lord, I anoint our faith to see what's in our midst or rather what we are in the midst of because you're always doing something. Cause us to see what we have as opposed to looking forward to what you will do. Oh God, I pray that there'll be nobody here that will find themselves in churches 
when the rapture has already happened don't let any preacher in this church still preach in this church oh I pray that each one of us will be caught up in the air with you and these pews will be empty don't let us in specials or have camp services and altar calls when the rapture has already happened I pray oh God have mercy on us help us if you're lacking somewhere Lord open our eyes to see you Lord and perhaps I'll open this altar to whoever wants to come Lord if anybody here perhaps feels they're not right with you and they don't want to be caught up in that day still thinking there's time and say shouldn't there be a third pool shouldn't there be a rapture first how come these things that happen Lord I pray by your grace through the preaching of the word I'm not your servants to bring your people to that level of faith that none of us will be here in that glorious happening I commit all of us into your hands in Jesus name Amen God bless you